bless you, Lord. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the word of the Lord today. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to come into the house of God. We thank you, Lord, that you are so good to us and that you inhabit the praises of your people. Father, let your presence grow stronger and stronger in this house today. As we lift up the word of God, we thank you for that revelation that comes from the word and that, Lord, you will just continue to grow within us that foundation that we can build upon and continue to build upon. We thank you for it, Lord. We're passionate in this end. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, I'd like to welcome those of you who are here. Those of you who are online, wherever you're at, thank you for joining in with us. It's good to hear from you. We do hear from you, and we so much appreciate that. That's very encouraging. And also, it allows us and allows me as I pray to not only be able to pray for you because I, I know your name and know where you are, but it also allows me to seek what the Lord would have for you uh, humbly uh, that I might be able to serve in any capacity that he allows at that moment. Well, uh, today's message for sake of a title is, and I've got it up here on my screen if they pop it on, is do you know that you know that you know what you know? And uh, the reason for that is this again. First of all, because I don't think you could say it, so say it with me. Do you know that you know what you know? Now, I put another that you know in it, so let's try it one more time. Repeat the that you know. Do you know that you know that you know what you know? And uh, you'd be surprised the answers you get when you ask somebody that. They, if they get through the tongue twister, they begin to give you all kind of philosophical uh, answers to that. There's a scripture that comes out of Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1 through 3. And this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verses 1 through 3. And Paul was writing to the church in Corinth. And, of course, there was a, a big issue going on because that was a high idolatry area. They had many, many different temples, and they had the largest temple to the, the prostitute goddess in all the world. And so it was a magnet. You would get merchants that would come from all over the place for a reason to come into that merchant port, but they would also uh, do whatever they had to do to appease that goddess so they would get access to the 1,000 different prostitutes that she, she had in her temple. And in that instance, there was a lot of question going on about what do we do with the food that is being sacrificed to this goddess because they would take that food from that temple and sell it in the marketplace for money. Unlike not different than a lot of what happens today in issues that are humanistic and, and a little bit bent on society. And so Paul offers this up. He says, now concerning things offered idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Emphasize knowledge. Do we know that we know what we know? We know that we all have knowledge. But knowledge, if you put the butt in front of it, puffs up. But love edifies. Knowledge puffs up but love edifies. So now we see two twists to knowledge. We see that we have the knowledge of God, which we understand, but knowledge that is not in any way framed in the personality of God puffs up. So seeking for the sake of knowledge can lead people astray. That's how we end up with such a strong element of humanism in society today. People are looking for knowledge, knowledge of man, knowledge. How about how about, I'm a little tired of hearing it, you probably are too, for the last year and a half, follow the science. Well, the science hasn't done very well, has it? Uh, people are still following it. Something about the science, it changes. And uh, it changes and modifies itself according to the circumstance. So if the science isn't working, all of a sudden, there's what? A new science. There's a new twist to the science. But you must follow that science because that is knowledge. But that isn't knowledge. Paul says that's the kind of knowledge that puffs up. But the love, love of what? First of all, love of God. Secondly, love of the Word. Thirdly, the love of one another edifies. Next verse, please. And he goes on and he's explaining to them, and if anyone thinks that he knows anything, that he knows, that he knows, that he knows what he knows, he knows nothing. Yet, as he ought to know that he knows, that he knows what he knows. What he's talking about is what's in our own mind and has become uh, that of our flesh, that which wars in our own flesh, that kind of knowledge, he says, 
has no bearing whatsoever. We're going to be talking about authority today. And I want to set this foundation, this precept, so we can move into it. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, and I think that's being a little harsh, man. I think it's anyone thinks he or she knows anything, because I know women know a lot more than we do, but you're included in that because it's species man. Anything thinks that he knows anything, he or she knows nothing, yet as he or she ought to know. Next verse. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. There's a mystery, a key to open up the revelation of your authority. It's being known by him, not what you know. Hold on to that little juicy treasure for a moment. It's being known by him, not what you think that you know. And it goes for me as well. My prayer is today that the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, will impart unto us some knowledge, very clear understanding about authority. Some of the things that authority doesn't do and some of the things that authority does do. Moving in the spirit of influence. Authority without influence actually has no need. Because if you don't have influence over everything, you could think you have all the authority in heaven, but you have no authority because you're not practicing the authority and the influence. I want to go to a scriptural reference out of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, please, starting in verse 5. And this is an accounting that's exchanged between a Roman centurion and Jesus, of course, the Lamb of God. Now, a Roman centurion would be equal to a general in the field, in the commander's field. Whether it's a one or a four or a five star, a centurion has a lot of troops underneath him. A centurion speaks on behalf of the prelate and Caesar himself. A centurion has authority. Now, when Jesus had entered Copernium, a centurion came to him pleading with him. Next verse, please follow me. Saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Stop. How odd that Jesus, the Lamb of God, a Jew who's stirring up the Jews who even some are wondering in the Roman Empire, is he trying to stir up a rebellion? And those that are locked into the religious spirit, the Judaism of the day, are wanting to figure out how to plot to kill him. But yet the centurion, with all of his authority, doesn't risk being exposed to Jesus for himself. He does it for his servant. How he must have loved that servant, but how much more he must have loved God. One who never had access to the temple. I'm not even sure where he got the scriptures at. What I think happened, and I know that I can't guarantee you this in the word of God, but I believe this is with some inspiration and revelation. What if that centurion, his servant, was a Jew? What if that Jew taught him how to pray by just watching him pray? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What if that servant had showed him that because of his love of God, that God favored the centurion also because the centurion used his influence on behalf of that servant. We begin to see a little glimpse into some of the favored mysteries of authority. He could have used that authority for anything. He could have commanded his soldiers to go get Jesus and bring him to him. But instead, he went to Jesus. Not on his own, not for anything for his own benefit. And he had to overcome the environment. He had to overcome the politics. He had to overcome society. He had to overcome culture. He had to overcome the fear that would come as the backlash to reach out on behalf of his servant, potentially a Jew. Lord, my servant is lying at home. Notice, too, that the word says at home. He didn't say, my home. My servant is lying at home, parentheses, our home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented, obviously in pain. Something happened. How many of you have ever been in so much pain you could barely bear it as I see my son-in-law walking out and raising his hand? He's been in a lot of pain for a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks. I myself just went through a painful week. 
I'm not going to tell you all that happened, but it was very painful. And my leg actually got numb and I had to drag it around for a while. And I just had to keep believing God. And I had two sleepless nights. But God was faithful. Jesus came to my place. He touched me again. I remember being in a wheelchair, paralyzed by arthritic rheumatitis, paralyzing. I could barely move. My limbs were all swollen. The pain was never ceasing, day and night, night and day, terrible pain. And there was no hope by science. Knowledge couldn't do a thing for me. But the knowledge of the Holy Ghost and the power of God did redeem and heal me. Paralyzed, my servant is lying at our home. He's paralyzed and he's dreadfully tormented. Jesus Christ. Notice the passion. Was this a prayer? I think so. It was spoken to the Lamb of God, Jesus the Lord himself. It was as if he was saying, Lord, my servant needs you. He's tormented. He's in terrible pain. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Notice how fast the response. There wasn't a negotiation. There wasn't an explanation. There wasn't Jesus saying, what's wrong with him? How did this happen? Why are you coming to me? Why would you dare to do who you are to come to me? Now you could say, yeah, but Jesus, you know, he knew everything ahead of time. What's because he prayed here on earth. He had the full power of the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you? Am I? What happens when we pray? God begins to shift and move everything into place. He changes hearts. He calls forth people out of nowhere and sends them to you. They come to you either to minister to you or to be ministered to because you have a sphere of influence. You have authority. And God has measured it and given it unto you. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. How does the centurion answer? Well, I don't know about you, but if Jesus said he was coming to my home, the last thing I'd tell him is don't come. I think I'd say, hold on, let me get there a little bit ahead of time, Lord. I, I got to wash the dishes. I got to put some clothes away. I got to get the dog doo-doo out of the yard. Let me get everything just perfect for you, Jesus. You please come, but let me make it fitting. And by the way, what's your favorite meal? The centurion says, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. Such humility. Such humility. Lord, I can't even believe you're talking to me. I can't even believe that I got to you. I can't even believe you didn't ask me a lot of questions and you didn't put me through a, a, a lot of ropes. I can't believe that you didn't say to me I needed to be saved first. I can't believe that you didn't begin to analyze my sins and the places where I failed. And, 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 and you're asking me the confusion and chaos that's going on in my head because I serve an oath to Caesar who calls himself God, but I know you're God. He doesn't ask him any of that. Jesus meets him where he is at the time and place he is at. Authority. The centurion doesn't know how to relate to that. Because he's a man of authority. He understands authority, but he doesn't understand grace. He understands authority, but he's not sure about sphere of influence yet. He understands authority, but he doesn't have the knowledge in his baseline foundation that he too has authority with God. He's begging. He's pleading. And he says, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. In essence, what he was saying is, I know from my dealings with the Jewish people, my house isn't kosher. My house hasn't been put under the law. My house isn't legalistic. I haven't done the things that I'm supposed to do according to this law that, that you uphold. You're called a Jew and a rabbi. I don't do things that way. I never knew how to do things that way. I wasn't brought up that way and I'm just who I am but this I know to speak a word my servant will be healed to speak a word my servant will be healed 
Next scripture. For I also, I'm a man of authority. I have soldiers, so many soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this. And he does it. I'm a man of authority. I understand the chain of command. I understand orders. I understand what it means to give and to take orders. I understand what it means to have dominion. Because dominion is taking authority of the order of things. I have my sphere of influence and it's big, says the centurion. Jesus, I understand authority. I may not understand all the rest of it and I may not understand everything that the Jews have been trying to teach me or that I've listened and learned without even being taught. But this I know, you have authority. I understand authority. Key to the mystery of authority. It's meeting God in His authority, not in your own authority. You can understand authority, but don't try to exercise the authority in your own flesh. The authority is God. He's the authority. Christ in us, God with us. Almighty God himself. Jesus says, speak to that mountain and tell it to be removed. Whatever you ask in my name, my authority, then it will be done. The centurion hadn't got there yet. He hadn't got to the place where he could go use the name of Jesus and speak in his authority and something would happen. Some were getting there. The disciples, remember, they were so excited. Lord, we're casting out demons in your name. But Lord, something else is going on. There's other people that have never been under you. They haven't discipled under you. They haven't broken bread with you. They haven't walked the dusty roads with you. They are casting out demons and healing people in your name. Jesus sort of pushed them aside and said, uh-oh. Here comes legalistic Christianity. If they're not against me, they're for me. Because they are honoring my name. They understand this authority. Next verse. When Jesus heard it, he marveled, marveled, not Marvel Comics. He marveled. Jesus was wondrously amazed. And he obviously extolled it to the people around him. If you could imagine the look on his face, he probably went, really? And he's probably looking at the other ones around him and say, he got it. How about you? Look, this centurion, this goyim, this Gentile, the one who says his house isn't kosher, he got it. And he said to those who were following him, I tell you for certain, I have not found any such grace, not even in Israel. And he was pointing at them. You think you have faith? He said, you don't have this man's faith. You have everything. You have the law. You're Jews. I've been with you. I've been walking with you. You've seen miracle after miracle. You have access to the Ruach HaKadosh. You have access to the Father. This man, he just knows one thing. I have authority. And he says with faith, humility to me, to speak the word, and my servant shall be held. He calls it great faith. Ah, another key. One of the keys to releasing authority is great faith. Take a moment about great faith. Do you have to work at great faith? The answer is yes and no. For those who say, yes, yes, you build up your faith. Build up your faith, as we're told, in the most Holy Ghost. Build up your faith in prayer. Build up your faith in practicing authority. We'll get to that. You build up your faith by practicing authority. If you don't practice it, you don't have it. You build it up. But at the same time, you can't get to a level of greater faith than what God is going to do. Because he's the great faith. He's the great one. He's the creator. That's why a child who's never learned anything about the scriptures in the Bible can say something about God and it's over with. Remember I shared two weeks back about the little boy who 
heard his mother saying that with God all things are possible. All he did was repeat. He said, I didn't know the Bible. I didn't read the Bible. I repeated, and it was great faith, and it sits over the halls of Ohio today. He just repeated. Did he have great faith? Well, yes, but no. He had never slain a giant. He had never commanded somebody to get out of a wheelchair. He never chased demons out of people's houses. But he had great faith for the moment that he was called to have it because his faith came from the authority of God. It was God's will. I have not found such grace, faith, not even in Israel. Next verse. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now he's talking to those Jews that he just got done telling, you don't have enough faith. This man is an example of faith. You need to get where he's at. So he uses the patriarchs. He uses the covenants. They understand that. They have the knowledge of the word. They understand Abraham, Father Abraham. They understand Isaac. They understand the promise to Jacob. They understand Jacob became it. They got all of that. They connected the dots, but they didn't have the great faith that the centurion had. In the kingdom of heaven, next verse. But the sons of the kingdom... They will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That doesn't sound right, does it? First of all, it doesn't sound fair. Secondly, why would he call them sons of the kingdom and then throw them out? What father throws somebody out? There will, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth because they're not real children. They're frauds. They're not those who have really gotten into the heart of God and the heart of serving God. They know about God. They know the things of God. They even know the Word of God. That's why they call themselves sons of the kingdom. But they're really not in the heart of God. And the Lord knows. So He says, they'll be cast out. He's basically teaching to that crowd that's following Him. They were following Him for the miracles. They were Following him because they wanted to see what great thing he was going to do next. They were spectator faith. And all they wanted to do was to be able to gleam the glory from what he was doing. And promote themselves. Maybe even in his own eyes. Spirit of promotion. You think God is moved by the spirit of promotion in the body of Christ? I think if there's any way to turn God off, that might be the way. Oh, he won't remove the gifts. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. They'll stay, but the gifts themselves don't echo the heart. Gifts that fall short of that passion and love of God can become a curse to the person that uses them. And then he goes on to the next verse. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done for you. Go your way. It's done. His servant was healed that same hour. That same hour. Healed by what? That word from Jesus, go your way, and as you believed, it will be done for you? Or was really the key that turned it, the authority saying, just say the word, Lord, and it'll be done. I believe at that moment it was done. I believe it was already done. I believe if they would have had flip phones and whatever else they needed to talk to one another, they would have been, it would have been already on Instagram, a picture of the servant up doing the Havana Gia. They would have been blessed. He said, this same hour, you go home. He's healed. Authority. How? How do we wrestle and lasso this kind of authority. Let's go back to the very beginning. We've done that multiple times in this series. And in it, Genesis 1, 27 and 28, I want to read it a moment because I really want to establish this premise. This is somewhat stuff that is renewal for you and somewhat should be basic for most of you. But when you put the pieces together, it's revelation and it's fresh. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created him man species, male and female, genders of species of man. There's only two genders of the species of man. Not 13 genders, not 64 genders. There's two genders of the species of man. There's no such thing as a transgender of the species of man. There's no such thing as an omgender of the species of man. There's no such thing as just deciding what you want to be today because you feel like you were born wrong in the species of man. Both male and female, he created them and in his own image. Do you think God is confused about his gender? Huh? You think God thinks that he might be transgender or that God might think that he's a little confused about what he was in the morning when he woke up and said, I think I'm going to go in the woman's bathroom today because I'm feeling more female than I am male. All right, I know I'm rubbing it in. The premise of our faith must not be questioned. Don't let it be moved. This is an attack. Listen to me. This is attack on the authority of your image and your likeness and who you are. The devil wants to strip you of your authority. He strips us of our authority in society when society begins to conform to a knowledge that is not the knowledge of God. And what you lose is authority. You lose authority. If you lose authority, you're at the will of the enemy. You're at the will of society and politics and every ism of man. This is about authority, beloved. Believe this. This is all about authority. The whole thing that was the fall behind Satan was his rebellion to the authority of God. When he says, read it in Isaiah, read it in Ezekiel, when he said, I will, I am, he knew then he was contending with the authority of God. And forevermore, that's what he's trying to do, is to strip you and I of our authority of God. But Jesus paid the ultimate price. It's the greatest romance story in all of all of creation. He gave his life. He gave himself that we might be again recreated into this image of God, but also his likeness, his likeness. Male and female, he created them. Next. Then God blessed them. Baruch Hashem. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God blessed them. Think about that a moment before we shift to Ephesians 1, verse 3. Think about that a moment. God blessed them. How permanent are the blessings of God? Eternal. From the very first creation of Adam, He blessed them. He blessed them with what they needed to be in His image and His likeness. He imparted into them divine nature and characteristics and capacity. He imparted into Adam something that separated him from everything else he had created in the first five days. Something that had his image. Something that had spirit, soul, mind, and body. Something that could be, if you would, flesh, but godly. Then God blessed them. Oh, how? There's a lot of things I want to witness when I get to that heavenly place. I can understand what Paul said. I'm betwixt two worlds. I, I'm ready to go. I want to be there and see all of this and do all this. But yet I know I'm called to do what I'm doing. Beloved, I'm in that place. I'm just being honest with you. I, I don't want to check out tomorrow. I love my family. I love my grandchildren. But I am so amazed and wondered at heaven and the things of God, the, the answers I can't find and get alone in the Word of God and in prayer, those things that I, I wonder and dream about, the passions of the Word of God and the Scriptures alive through people. One of them is, I, I, I want Him to do a rerun with me. I want to hear Him bless Adam. I want to hear Him put his hand upon Adam. I want to see that hand come down from the heavenly place and rest upon his son, his creation in his image. And he says, this is good. And it says he blew 
his spirit into them. It's the fish, the breath of God, the breath of God. Oh, I want to see that. I want to feel that. I'm not telling you I'm envious of Adam, but I sure wish I was there. God said to them, with that blessing, you see, this, this was his blessing. That blessing might have gone on a long time. I don't know how long that blessing went. I don't know everything he said. Maybe he didn't have to say a whole lot. Maybe it just, it all just downloaded from the heavenly nature of God himself. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Wow. Lesson number one about authority. Be fruitful and multiply. If we are not using what God gives us to be fruitful and multiply, then we are looking at the Lord and saying, I'm not going to use your authority as you've called me to do. It's a blessing of God, but it's also a command of God. How about the blessing that came upon Peter? Peter, do you love me? Oh, yes, Lord. You know I love you. Peter, 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 listen to me. Do you, do you love me? Lord, yes. Yes, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Lord, what are you doing? Feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Feed the babies. Feed the ones who are just coming out and they need to drink milk, Peter. Don't get caught up in your own ego. Don't get caught up in the business of the ministry. Don't get caught up in titles. Don't get caught up in affirmation of people because all that's going to come to you, Peter. It's all going to come. Remember these words. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Feed my babies. Feed them. Feed them. Be fruitful. Multiply. Multiply. If we're not multiplying, we're not being fruitful. Ah. You say, but no, you don't understand. I, I, I have to do this, and, and I have to do that, and I have to do... Yes, I... Listen, you don't have to convince me. <laughs> I fight myself to be fruitful. I'm the hardest critic of myself there could possibly be. There's not a night that I go to sleep that I'm not asking the Lord to forgive me for the regrets of what I didn't accomplish for him. Not a night. Not a morning I wake up that I don't ask the Lord to help me to just do more than what I've been doing. I'm being honest with you. No one could be harder on me than me. Be fruitful multiply. Then listen to this, this blessing. This is a blessing. This is a command of God. Fill the earth. Fill the earth. Fill the earth. He created this entire earth, this entire structure, this eco-structure, this entire multitude of billions of people both now and later, seven, eight billion now and more coming, more that have gone into eternity, a huge audience and congregation of potential for the family of God. Fill it, he says. But then he gives a strange message. Subdue it. Subdue it. Subdue means to seize it. It means to take authority over it, to have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves. Have dominion. Dominion means to take authority over the order of it. Take authority over the order of it. Don't relinquish it to someone else. Don't let someone tell your children that they're not a male or a female. Don't you do that. Take authority over it. Take authority over the fact that you're not supposed to be killing your babies. Take authority over it. Subdue it. But we can't do it. We can't do it. Unless we understand like the centurion did that He's a man of authority. He's the one. At his name, every knee must bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Christ in me is my strength. 
with him I can do all things and there's nothing that's impossible to me with him with him how big is our sphere of influence how big is it one thing where man has been lacking since the very fall of Adam. When he said to subdue the earth, yes, he could talk about human power. He could talk about having authority over animals and beings, etc. But where we've really failed is in spiritual authority. Jesus came to restore that because it was so faltered that I believe that creation itself was on the very edge of having to be destroyed again. I don't think Jesus came frivolously at a moment in time that was for nothing. And I believe he'll be coming back for the same reason because humanity will be on the very edge of destruction. Not because of climate control, Yeah, it's hot out in Las Vegas right now. It's hot in several places. Not because of governments warring against governments, but because of what's happening in the human soul here on earth. The human soul is failing. And leadership, spiritual authority is failing. Those that are the voices in the darkness crying out for souls to be saved trying to preach a message of healing and recovery and restoration are far less than those that promote the business of their own ministries. And that lure, it's the same lure that it was that lured Satan out of heaven, that lured Adam and Eve to rebellion, that lured every spiritual leader to falter. It's the pride and the lust of man and woman. But there's a difference. You see, never before since Jesus Christ walked on the earth did God give so many people so many gifts in his kingdom. So many gifts. We are so gifted. We have access to everything he has. We have an opportunity for authority that's beyond comprehension to subdue whatever it is that's before us and trying to strip us of the kingdom of God. We are a peculiar people in a peculiar time, like unlike none other. We are taught. Those who've been in the Lord for a while, we know. We know the difference between right and wrong. We know what we ought to be doing. I had a prayer that I prayed with my teams, whether they were young youth teams, high school teams, or college teams. And that prayer was, I am one, but I'm only one. I can't do everything, but I can do something. And that I can do, I ought to do. And by the grace of God, I shall do it. We prayed it every time. I never gave a speech preparing any of my teams before a season about what to do if we lost. (laughs) I told them I don't like to lose. I said, I can come to teach you to lose. I came to win. We're going to win fair and square, but by God, we're going to win. I only had one losing season in my entire time, and that's because I wasn't the head coach. I'm just being blunt. It was because of God. I was so blessed at my son's wedding in Texas that one of the young men that came, his name's Paco, Paco Rodriguez, he says, you remember me? I spent every Sunday at your house. I said, I forget you ate us out of house at home, Paco. I said, we had to send you home. You wouldn't leave. Funny thing, Paco was like six foot and Sammy was like five foot four. They were best of buds. They'd walk around like this. Paco went on and University of Florida, pitched in the College World Series and won, was drafted, probably had one of the most amazing careers in the minors. He was only there two months taken up to the Los Angeles Dodgers there three and a half years and with the Padres, 
Tommy John surgery and blew out his knee. I said, Paco, how you doing? He said, Papa, everything you taught me is working. Everything you taught me is working. I thought to myself, bless God. Bless God. Bless God. There's a transference. I'm going to stop here. Lord willing, I'll pick it up here next week because this is too important to lose you with and not to get to. I want us to understand and learn the mystery of transference of power. Power, Peter said, comes from heaven above. That power is installed into us in the source of his divine nature. It's what we do with it that matters what happens with it. Jesus taught a very sobering lesson about what happens when we use or don't use authority. I'd like to deal with that in depth at a future message. And I'm believing God it'll be next week as we continue on. As we assert dominion. As you prepare, you might want to read yourself Luke 6, starting in verse 46. This is how sobering he begins it with. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? <laughs> Talks about putting words into practice and not putting words into practice. I want to deal with that because that is the mystery of the source of the power and authority of God. I don't want to leave you on a sobering note. I want to leave you on a good note. And that good note is that, and I will ask this question again. Does everybody have the same capacity of authority or not? Some may say no, some may say yes. This is my answer to you. Yes and no. And I'll develop and build on that for you. How many of you that think that you'd like to operate in more authority would say, Pastor, I'd, I'd really like to unlock those keys and know how to walk in more authority. Amen. Be honest. It's everybody. Beloved, there's only one way that we overcome in a season of darkness that's upon the earth and it's going to get darker you can listen to all the motivational preaching you want it's going to get darker it's going to get darker before the Lord returns there's only one way that we can sustain and that's overcoming and that's by understanding our authority and that's by protecting and sustaining our authority if we do not we will falter with the wind we will blow like a leaf in the wind be blown all to and fro all over the place. You think there's been heresies taught in the past? Wait till you see what's coming. And wait till you see out of whose and whom's mouth it comes from. It's coming. Wait till you see the division that goes in the body of Christ between the goats and the sheep. Wait till you see what happens with people of God, men and women of God with knowledge what they do and don't do. We must stand and we must make a commitment to stand ourselves right now. Beloved, I need you. I rely upon you, but I'm going to tell you one thing. I'm not counting on any person for my faith. I'm fighting for it myself. I'm not counting on anybody else to make a way for me. I'm counting on the Lord God Almighty to make my way. I'm not counting on anybody else to pick me up when I falter and fall. I'm counting on him to help me. I'm not waiting on anybody else to show me the way. I've got to find the way with him day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. But because of that, I have joy. Because I know I win. I know with him, I'm more than a conqueror. I know with him, I'm victorious. I know with him, 
I have power over the grave. Sin has no dominion over me anymore. And with him, all things are indeed possible. So that's the good news. The key for us is we build that foundation of our baseline faith right now. A faith to overcome in these last days. A faith to do what God has called us to do like no other people. No other sons and daughters ever born on earth before but to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. To a place in time that most of the world doesn't expect him and may not even want him to come. Because if you really give people a choice, do you want to do this for God or do you want to do this for you? Let's be honest. It's hard for us to make a choice only for God when we have stuff we want to do for me. Let's just be honest with one another. But we can do it. And there's another thing that I'm not going to get into next week and maybe not even the following week, but I need to get into it. It's being very careful, the seed and how we sow it. And I'm not just talking finances, but I'm also talking finances. I'm talking about everything God has given us as a seed to multiply and be fruitful. Everything. I mean, that's why it's one of my regrets. And, and I'm not touting arrogance. I'm being honest. I, I've got a pouch full of seeds. I've got a lot of seeds. God's given me a lot of seeds. I'm not sure I'm planting them fast enough. You want to hear what I'm saying to you? I know what I got. I don't have any lack of confidence about having a lot of seeds. I know the offices of the kingdom of God. I'm comfortable in all of them. I'm not being arrogant. I'm also being honest. I don't know that I'm planting my seeds as I should be or I could because of choices we make. I could just smooth everything over, kumbaya, and not challenge you. But if I'm challenging you, I'm challenging me. I don't do anything in a sense or a spirit of condemnation. That's not my intent. I'm hard on myself. And maybe it comes out in my preaching. But this I do know. The Lord loves you so much. He loves us so much. He tolerates us. He tolerates me. He sees us in the place that we're at and he doesn't look at what we aren't. He's looking at what we can be. He's not looking at how to punish it. He's looking at how to bless us. He's not looking at how to test us. He really doesn't want to. He's looking at how to, how to give us the benefits and the blessings of victory and a life in Christ. Funny thing about the kingdom, it doesn't operate at all like the isms of humanity. It's a completely different set of legal laws. But they work. They work so well. They work unbelievably. I shared with you some of my remorse and regrets. Let me share with you some of my rejoicings. There's not a day that goes by that I don't find time in a place. Sometimes it's all alone, maybe sitting here in the dark. It's one of my favorite places. Or it's in the middle of a field where I'm working. Or it's in my truck coming back filthy and not smelling so good and a little tired. And I start rejoicing and thanking God for what he's done. I can't tell you how many times I've walked through this place. I said, Lord, look what you did. I mean, it may not be much to somebody, but it's a lot to me. I look at the chairs. I look at the carpeting. I look at the building. I look at the people. I say, Lord, wow. Because I saw what it was. But he knew what it could be. Now I want to be prophetic. This house is nowhere near what it's going to be yet. And it's not about me. It'll probably be without me. It's nowhere near what it's going to be yet. Because God has his hand on it. Not because of a structure in a building because there was a covenant made with God that was fall, far before you and I it goes back over 200 years God made a covenant with some settlers and they started this ministry down the street somewhere and it burned down a couple times and they kept going and 
all kind of things went sideways and right and left and up and down in the building. But God made a covenant. And he was just looking for a people that were going to be willing to restore what God had promised. And you know what that is? That's a modern day example of the redemption of Jesus Christ. That's what I see. He redeems, he restores. He blesses. He calls the blessings out from the beginning of Adam to 200 years ago to today and links them with tomorrow in your life and in my life. What a wonderful God he is. I want you to rejoice in him. Please do. Count your blessings. Look at all the wonderful things God has given you and he's going to give you. He's going to bless you out of your socks. Not because of some prosperity message. It's because of you. How much he loves you. And all it takes is a little bit of that centurion's faith. Lord. 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 Father, bless the word of God. Help us, Lord, to begin to grasp the the gift and the responsibility of the authority you give us in dominion and power in our lives. Over our flesh, first of all, Father, for the flesh wars. It wars so hard against us, Father. Let our minds be able to speak to our flesh and overcome by the Word of God. And thank you, Father, that your Holy Spirit never, never ceases to work inside of us. Convict us as you may. Lead us gently. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Father, for your love and your passions. Thank you, Lord, for victory. Victory, Father, over the forces of evil, the darkness of this world, and our own challenges and problems, Father. We thank you for it, Lord. Be merciful, O God, as you always are. Holy Spirit, work strong and hard in us, will you please? Sustain us, withhold us, change us, transform us. Move inside of us and move with us. Let us use a vocabulary that says more you than me. Be blessed, O Lord. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.